I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit LonoCoffee.com, use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. Going to keep hammering home what a good holiday gift a pound or five of their coffees would make. Today, I visit with my pal J.P. Finley from NBC Sports Washington and the Washington Football Talk podcast. We talk Alex Smith and his future. Then I chat with longtime NFL agent Andy Ross, who represents three Washington players, including Morgan Moses and Tim Settle. Good insight into why Moses is having such a solid season. Also get some insight into what an agent does during the season for their clients. And then I answer a few Therapy Thursday mailbag questions. Where is the pass rush? I have some answers. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a story up Thursday about the team name, colors, and more. Also, check out my podcast from Wednesday when I visited with ESPN's Ben Baby about Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and former NFL scout Tyler Roman and I discussed Justin Herbert. Should Washington have picked him? Also, I made this offer in the spring, and some of you took advantage but if you're having a hard time right now because of COVID, the holidays approaching, and need some a respite or some pick-me-up, I'm happy to chat some Washington football with you on Zoom for a few minutes. We could all use a pick-me-up. And I will say, for some of you, you may think, why would I want to talk more about this team? Is that really going to help? Well, we know that Washington football is not the best antidote, but it is a good distraction. So hit me up on Twitter if you or you know someone who could use that kind of a boost. And now, here's my conversation with NBC Sports Washington's J.P. Finley. All right, J.P., so I want to just kind of talk a little bit about Alex Smith, what we've seen so far, and really kind of what you think is going to happen with him in the future because it's coming off, obviously, a really good game. So what have you, are you surprised by what you've seen of him in the two games he's played Outside of the Rams game. Well, not surprised that he's back. I thought he'd be back. I thought he was going to play this year. But, hell yeah. I'm, I mean, the guy threw for 300 in back-to-back games. He threw for 390 yards last week. That's not the dude we covered in 2018. I mean, not at all. there was that obscure 178 passing yards. He had like three or four times. Um, they were winning, but it wasn't. It wasn't fun to watch. I mean, the ball's moving now. I, I kind of think Scott Turner's offense might be a really good system for Alex, and I don't know, maybe Jays wasn't, or maybe he was learning Jays or what. Um, Scott Turner wants the ball going to the running backs a lot. I mean, J.D. McKissick had 15 targets the other day, right? right. I think Scott's happy with that, whereas I think Jay would have been a little grumpy with that. Um so am I surprised he's back and playing and, and, and playing at a, a good level? No. 
But am I surprised by the, the passing yardage? Certainly. You know, it's funny you bring up Jay's offense because he never looked comfortable in that offense. No. He looks more comfortable in this system for whatever reason than he ever did there. And I don't know if it's just I don't I don't know why. And it's a short sample too, right? They they played the Giants and the Lions, not too the Giants have a decent defense. The Lions really don't. Um, you know, he, he's gonna get tested with the Steelers and Seahawks, Niners, whoever's coming up, it's gonna change a bit. But I I think nobody can say anything but they're impressed by what Alex has done. Does it change your impression of what they might do in the future here with that position? No. Um because I as soon as Dwayne got benched I thought they're looking for the quarterback of the future again. And, and and people can argue lots of different things, but as soon as they benched Dwayne after four games and he went to third string, and then some of the stuff you and I have both heard, right? I, I think I still think quarterback is in play early in the draft. Um, I think they'll go that route rather than a veteran. And then if you go that route and you have Alex and the deal – I mean, listen, he's getting, he's going to make a lot of money, but for a, a veteran quarterback in the NFL – He's not making top third of the league money. It's only going to be 23.3 cap hit. So right. you're right. That's... I mean, that's kind of middle. By the time a couple guys get paid next year, that'll end up being middle of the road, which is crazy, but everything's relative. And there's no there, – it's a documented history of Alex's ability to help a young quarterback go to cap or Mahomes, whatever you want to look at. So I think he could be back, but I'm not saying I think he's going to be the starter or, right. or like – I don't think he's the long-term answer, even if he's back. I think they value him, and they value what he could do with a rookie. And, and I agree with that. And I, I think we've got a long way to go here. Yeah, and, I mean, seven so games left. Seven games left, and a, so much can happen, and we're seeing it based on a couple games. I just think for for those of us, for anybody who watched him in 2018, he definitely looks better, and that's where some of this is coming from. But I agree. I don't think it changes necessarily what, how they're going to view the future. Um but I also think it's probably surprised some people in this organization what he's done. I think every step of the way with Alex has surprised. I think when Ron got this job in January, he had to kind of say the right things about Alex, but never thought he was going to play. And I don't think Ron thought Alex was going to play by June. I think I think I think you go then to August and right. say that. I mean, I, I think they all thought the plan was IR. He's here for another year. There's still guaranteed money, and we kind of this thing is done. But then the way he played in training camp, the portions we were able to see stood out, and then what he did once we were kicked out of there stood out. I, I think, I think the first time people were like, "Wait a second, was remember once they started practicing, but we weren't allowed out here yet." Now they were just in shells, and it was glorified OTAs, whatever they were calling it, the phase two ramp up, and then maybe right, we got here right, for phase right. three. That was when I first started hearing, like, "Man, Alex looks way better than I was expecting," and that, that's from different people just out here able to watch and. I don't think anybody in there, if you ask them on September 1st, thought Alex Smith would have a 390-yard passing game this year. <laughs> no. Do you think I don't think any I don't think Alex thought that. I don't think Alex I I know I certainly didn't think that. Do you think that he can keep this pace up or and again, I mean again, I I want to stress to people listening that he's only played he started one game right. and you know, let's let's see how he handles a, a, a seven-game stretch. Sure. But do you think that he can keep this up? What have you seen that maybe tells you that? Why or why not? I think if he keeps up, so what's he averaging now? Three twenty-five and three ninety. So call it three fifty a game or something. That's 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 a bit. I don't think he's going to finish the year averaging three hundred yards passing per game. I, I I think this because I also think for the team, 
you don't want him throwing the ball 55 times. Correct. You want a more balance. You want to be able to run the ball. You need the defense not to give up these long touchdowns. You need the offense to convert, make field goals, not fumble it. Um, you know, that Detroit game is such a microcosm of, of so many problems because the offense was still pretty – they moved the ball well in the first half. They just didn't score. And then in the second half, they were able to get in the end zone. I, I think that I think this suits well for Alex. I think – the way he spreads the ball around, the coaches love. They're they're really getting to see, hey, what do we have in Cam Sims? What do we have in Isaiah Wright? Because they're getting the ball. They're getting real reps. They're getting real opportunities. Um, there's always the injury caveat, but that's kind of for any quarterback. Sure. And I think Alex has proven now that he's back in the any quarterback injury caveat world. Like, I don't think that leg... He's held up. Right. I mean, he's played three games. He had Aaron Donald jump on him. He's, he's taken some big shots. I don't think the quickness is really coming back like the uh, the bootleg QB nakeds that we saw. Right. I just don't think that stuff's coming back. But I think the way he reads defenses is at such a high level that he doesn't maybe need to rely on the quickness as much as he did. I mean, listen, Phil Rivers is still starting for a winning football team, and, and Tom Brady can barely move. I'm not putting Alex in Brady's category, but... He's still more mobile than both. There, there are older guys that aren't that mobile that Alex is absolutely competing with. So I'm right. not burying him over the quickness. Do you think Dwayne gets back in? And that's what I wanted to close on right there is a Dwayne Haskins topic. Do you do you think he'll get back in there? Does what Alex what what with what Alex has shown? How is that going to impact his future here? It's a great question, and and I think back to when Ron kept stressing. 11 weeks for Dwayne. Dwayne got 11 weeks. That's three months. I think Dwayne's evaluation is complete. I think this organization, know, they feel like they know who Dwayne Haskins is. And that's not who he could become, but they're. it seems to me they feel confident that they know what he is. I think, he will, I think he'll be moved when we get to 2021. I think they're still trying to evaluate Alex and figure out what he is and what his role could be for 2021. Um, but... We saw three quarterbacks play in eight weeks. So I'm not going to say Dwayne doesn't get back in. Whether that's, hey, we're out of this thing. We're going to let Dwayne start week 16 or 17. Or, you know, Alex could hurt his thumb. Like, it doesn't have to be a massive injury. It could be a... He dings up his wrist. And the way that things go here, yeah. that we, we all know. He's Always been on gonna, chaos in Ashburn. Yeah, so I, I think I think we'll see him again at some point and then see if he's actually done the stuff they want and see how it not just impacts his future here, but for other teams. Right, absolutely. All right, JP, thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks, Scott. Anytime. After this break, I'll be back with longtime NFL agent Andy Ross sharing insight into Morgan Moses, things that he did in the offseason to help him prepare for this year, and then the agent business in general. Good stuff. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You've heard me talking about Lono Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lono Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. 
Just look at their website, LoneOakCoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit LoneOakCoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, OAKCoffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with longtime NFL agent Andy Ross. And I'm bringing in a longtime agent. Andy Ross has three players he represents right now on, the, on Washington's rosters Tim Settle, Morgan Moses, Greg Stroman. Andy, thanks for coming on. I do want to start with, I want to get into some of the things that an agent does during the season and all that good stuff and what you have going on. But I want to start with Morgan Moses because he's having a good year. And I know that you represent him, but you're also privy to see the, what he did during the offseason and how he handled that pandemic and all that. So what did you see from him there that maybe is now translating to what we're seeing on the field? First of all, thanks for having me on, John. I, um, yeah, with, as it relates to Morgan, I, I think one of the advantages you have as a player uh, once you get to your second contract is, you know, typically you're going to have a, a certain level of, uh, of income that you've made and you're able to invest in your body even more. And that's one of the things I really saw Morgan do uh, this past year was really invest in his body. It's something he's always done, but he was building a house. Um, interesting story was the workout room wasn't big enough in the house. So they actually had to tear down part of the house that they were building to make, to pour more concrete, to make it bigger. Um, he's got turf inside there. He's got a whole rehab center uh, that's in there with cold tub, sauna, hot tub. Um, he's also got workout equipment, uh, rehab machines, massage uh, area. It's, it's really amazing. It's actually one of the, one of the nicest um, things I've seen a, a, a player have uh, in their house as it relates to getting themselves ready and repent, you know, because as a, as a player in the NFL, you're always going to have injuries that come up. And so if you're able to keep your body healthy and really invest in your body, you're going you're gonna to play better. And that's one of the things I really saw Morgan do. He hired a personal trainer. He hired a nutritionist. He hired a private chef that came in and made uh, uh, different meals for him. So he came in a little bit lighter. He was in great shape. And he's, he's battled through some injuries this year, but his rehab has been so strong that he's really been able to produce. And it's, and it's one of those things where, I think with COVID too, when you're stuck uh, in your house and you have these, you know, this unique situation that you're dealing with, it, it's really something that uh, in Morgan's case, he took full advantage of. Uh, Tim Settle as well, you know, he was working out at my house uh, in my home gym uh, with Ziggy Hood. And so, you know, all these guys were, were really having to be creative this off season. And really, you know, I, I can say all of my clients really dedicated themselves to get themselves to be healthy and, and be ready for the season to go. We also saw Morgan being very passionate on the sidelines. I think it was during the Giants game. What, I mean, did that surprise you when you saw that? Well, you know, it's, it's funny because the evolution of Morgan Moses from when he was in high school to college, in college to the pros. I remember Jay Gruden used to always, you know, call me up and, and Jay and I would talk and he'd be like, you know, 
Morgan is the nicest guy I've ever seen. He goes, but sometimes I just want him to walk out on practice. And when I'm like, hey, Morgan, how you doing? Hey, coach, boom, like just hit him or do something. <laughs> you know, he wanted to see some energy out of him. And, you know, Morgan, and I talked about these things uh, over the years and talked about what it takes to be a leader. I, obviously, you know, the uh, Redskins rewarded him uh, at the time, made him the second highest paid right tackle in the NFL. And so, you know, with that, you know, comes some responsibility. Now he's got the captain. And so because of all these things, you know, he's he's really just grown into a leader. Um, I've given him some books. Uh, he read a book called The Carpenter the other day um, that I had given him. And I, you know, it's I'm really trying to help Morgan just continue to grow. And he's really as a smart, humble young man. He's really taken that um, uh, by the horns and he's he's really wanted to become that leader. And he gen genuinely cares about all the other guys in, in the locker room. I mean, he calls me all the time. Hey, this guy's having this issue. How should I talk to him about it? And we talk through the situation. Um, nothing overly personal because he's going to keep that stuff to himself. But like just, you know, maybe a guy dealing with an injury or, or, you know, something along those lines. And, you know, he wouldn't have asked that question a few years ago. And then when I saw him on the sideline, I mean, I, I took the video of, of him talking and I sent him while the game was being played. I sent him a text when he got back to his locker room. And I just let him know like how proud I was. And because to see him really grow like that and really, you know, he's not doing it just for the paycheck. He's doing it because he wants to win. He legitimately wants this team to be the best possible team that they can be and to grow with this team. And that's what, you know, with a new coach coming in, that's what you need with leadership. And, you know, I remember talking to him about, you know, Coach Rivera too. And he even told me that. He said, look, hey, this guy's battling something bigger than we all are. And he goes, if you're going to watch him fight, you got to fight with him. You got to fight for him. And, you know, he's really taken that to heart as well. And so I'm really proud of Morgan. I, that was a pretty awesome, uh, uh, awesome display of emotion and passion. And I, I think when you saw the team come out in the second half, you really saw him play differently. I don't know what happened in the locker room, but we all saw what happened on the sideline. And that's one of the things that I think that to me, when dealing with this league for a long time, is what separates an agent you know, who can get their guys a certain place. So I am curious, like, you know, we've talked before about this, but what are some of the little things that you might do during a season? Let's say what's going on now, like during a season that maybe people wouldn't know that, but, but yet you're going to do for a, you or an agent would do for their clients. Well, that's, I mean, I can't speak to what other agents do because I, I just don't know. I, I can just tell you what I know and what I do. And I really spend a lot of time, investigating medical. My job is to really be an expert at hiring experts. So if a player has an injury, who's the top doctor in the country or in the world uh, to make sure that, that that player has the right advice because every player is entitled to a second opinion, uh, you know, if they have an injury. And so, you know, I've really developed and if you would ask me 25 years ago when I became an agent that I was going to have to have a medical degree, I, I would have had no idea, uh, <laughs> you know, what what that meant and what I was going to have to do. And it's amazing through, you know, Google and online searches and the relationships that you develop with different doctors around the country, the, the things you're able to learn. And, you know, as an example, when, when Greg Stroman went down with his injury this year, um, I saw it on the game. I'm texting him right five minutes after he's in the locker room about his injury. And I'm already setting up since it was a foot injury. I already had it set up for him to get a second opinion, get the MRI. I was texting with Dr. West, get the MRI, get it over to Bob Anderson so he could look at it, make sure we had all the right things in place, talking to him about, you know, what the rehab program was going to be. And, 
I think he was he was pretty pretty impressed by the fact that I was just right on it instantaneously. And that's what this job is. And I think a lot of people don't realize that is this job is 24 seven. I mean, I live my job. There's not an, a minute or hour or day that goes by that I'm not focused in on helping clients. I'm always available. And, you know, it is a major, major time commitment to be an agent in this business. It is. And that reminds the 24 seven, it's, it's the line from entourage, Scott, 24 seven Lavin. So, but, but that is true. I mean, I know from my end, this job is 24 seven and I'm not representing anybody other than ESPN, but um, it is, it is a lot. So you also, at what point do you start looking ahead? If a guy's in the last year of his contract or whatever, what point do you start looking ahead to the offseason? Because I've heard times from agents in the past, too, where they say they might get a call from a team. They're not asking about the guy, but it may be just to say hello. And it kind of like lets you know that maybe this team might be interested. So what, what's the process like? When do you start maybe looking ahead to, to the offseason for these guys? Well, for me, I, I've always thought in this business, if you want to be one of the best agents in the business, it's the prep work that you put in. It's the work that nobody sees. It's the same as an athlete. It's them running and lifting weights and, you know, running different shows to prepare themselves, you know, for practice or for the games. As an agent, you're doing all that background work. So I'm already looking at different teams, looking at their team needs that they're going to have, what time of, types of schemes that they're running. You know, is a team going to lose a general manager because they're not playing well or a head coach or different coaches are going to move around? So you're really analyzing all that information at the same time and analyzing what relationships the player has. You know, what coaches left might have left the Washington football team and gone to another team. And so that creates other opportunities because they're familiar with that player. Um, is a GM left and have they gone somewhere else where they actually drafted that player? So now is that an opportunity in free agency? So those are all the different things that you're going to look at. Um, it's a really a lot of prep work that goes into it. I also, uh, when we go to the combine, that's where you have a lot of your meetings. That's in February. And so you take all this prep work, you learn from it. You got to use it for the draft as well, because it's not just free agency, right? It's, it's the draft. So if you don't fill a need in free agency, then you're probably filling it for the draft. So you as an agent have to know all that information. So that way you're not just going with the shotgun approach of, trying to shoot everything you're going with more of a rifle approach and i think teams really respect that when you you know when you come in and you know their situation uh, as best you can now you're not inside that building so they might have certain things that they're focused in on but you have a general idea as to you know what their types you know their needs are going to be what type of scheme they they're running and you know does the player that you're talking about whether it's free agency or the draft you know fit within that what they're looking for how often do you guys do you might you hear from a team maybe and more so maybe even in December, just to kind of let you know that, you know, we may be interested in one of your guys just to say hello, but you know, cause I know you're not allowed to tamper. Yeah. Yeah. There's no tampering never happens. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that, um, you know, teams can say a lot of things, but there's no accountability as of right now. Right. So they could sit there and tell you that they're interested in your player, but you know, they might end up, finding a guy in the draft that they really like. So they're not interested in your guy in free agency because they think they're going to get that guy if they're picking in the top five or, or top 10. Um, you know, it's, there's so many variables that come into play. It's like they can sit there and tell five different agents that they like their player because they, that player is in their position, but they're also just trying to play the game. It's, it's a lot of times it's a big poker, you know, big poker match. And uh, you're just, you, it's really important to find out that information 
And that's where the relationships really come in. When you're in the business for 25 years, you're going to develop those relationships over time. It's very, very powerful to have that information. But it's also important that you keep kind of some type, a lot of the information you find, you got to keep it close to your vest, right? You might share it with your player. You might share some of it with your family. But you don't want that information out there because, you know, you want to know that the people that you're dealing with on the team side, that they can trust you. How often would you be in contact with an official from the team about one of your guys? And they're, you know, I mean, do you, is it a constant contact, even during the season? Like how much, what would cause you to call a team on behalf of your client during the season? Well, I mean, if they have, you know, look, you have relationships with all these different teams, whether it's the general manager or their, you know, director of pro personnel or uh, their director of scouting, whoever the, uh, the, the person is at the team that you have the, the relationship with. And you're going to talk about different things all the time. I mean, I, I spend most of my days talking to different people all over the uh, all over the NFL, just trying to get information. Do they have an injury at a certain position? And you know that you have a guy that's going to be coming up uh, for you know free agency. Letting a team know. A lot of times, you, you know, what most people don't realize too is you talk to a lot of teams to find out how they value your player, right? Because that's really important when you're going into even if you do a contract extension for a player with that team, you want to know what their value is. And I, I had a player years ago. And, you know, he was an undersized um, uh, defensive back and he had an amazing year. And when we checked with all the other teams, a lot of teams weren't interested in him. They felt like a lot of the things that he had actually accomplished um, were kind of right place, right time instead of a skill set. And the fact that he was a little undersized affected their opinion of him as well. Um, He still ended up getting paid a lot of money and he ended up staying with the team that he wanted to stay. But we knew that the market wasn't what people actually thought the market was going to be out there. And so thankfully that player ended up doing the deal. He ended up having an injury too, which, you know, would have affected him had he not taken that extension. And so, um, you know, it's, it's all about information. It's funny because, um, you know, there's obviously been, obviously been some situations in Washington that have popped up and I know you can't speak directly to Dwayne Haskins' situation because you don't know, you don't represent him. That's not your client. But have you ever had a player in a situation like his? And if so, how did you handle that for him? Well, I think, I think this goes back to your original question. One, I, I'm not privy to the information on, um, on Dwayne, um, you know, as I'm not his agent. And I wouldn't even ask the team about that. That's not my responsibility. Uh, or, you know, like I just shouldn't be asking that. But I would say um, if I was in a situation like that where I've had clients that have had some different uh, challenges inside an organization, you have to really find out what are the issues and is, you know, knowing your player and knowing, you know, who they are, do you believe what the team said, or do you think it's just a bad environment? If it's something that you really feel like you can get the right people around them to help them. Um, I've worked with a company called the Handel group uh, out of New York, and I've really worked with them. They have a 16 week program that I've put a lot of my clients through and, that's one of those things that really helps these young guys that are in their early 20s really mature and be and not saying that they're immature, but saying you help them mature and handling their money, handling the fame, handling the pressures that come along with being a professional athlete. And the more you can have that relationship to help prepare them for those things, the better off they're going to be. And, you know, like I said, not to speak on that uh, situation in particular, but I do think that um, you as an agent have to have that relationship so you can have that real conversation if there's an issue. And, you know, hopefully that player also has a circle around them, whether it's family, friends, girlfriend, wife, whatever, that you all are on the same boat to make sure that that player is successful. Because look, a team at the end of the day, once the contract's done, 
you're all on the same team at that point. You want your player to be successful. So having a relationship with the coach, the general manager, the different people in the organization to find out what you need to do to help your player be successful is good for everybody. So, you know, I, no, no team drafts a player and wants them to fail. And the other situation that arose, and again, and this isn't your client, but I am curious, like there was a talk about Ryan Kerrigan maybe wanting out and all that. What would it take, you know, when, if there's a client that comes to you and says, I want out of here, what is your step as an agent? Do you go to them and just kind of feel it out before you say, my guy wants out? But how, how would you handle something like that if you have a, like a disgruntled client, so to speak? Um, yeah, once again, I mean, I, I don't know that. And I know that's not your thing, but I'm, in general, yes. Yeah, I, you know, for me, it's, it's having the relationship with the team where you can find out, okay, why aren't you, excuse me, why aren't you using my guy? Um, you know, how are you all, you know, trying to utilize him in the scheme? Is it, particular, is it a particular situation that's affected by the teams that you played? So there's a skill set of another player that's out there that fits better based upon the scheme that you're going against. And maybe it was four weeks in a row that you dealt with a certain set of scheme. Um, you know, that's, you got to ask those questions. You got to, you have to find out what's the root of the issue there. If the player is demanding a trade um, a lot of times it's an emotional, um, emotional business. I mean, these guys have always been the best player on their team uh, from youth league all the way up. And so when they're not playing as much, you know, that's tough and they want to be out there. They want to help their teams win. And so, you know, yeah, I've had clients call me for, I, I, I want to have more playing time. I wish I had this. I wish I had that. And you have to let them vent. Sometimes you have to understand, you have to empathize with them and then you have to find the information. So that way you can have a constructive conversation to help them be the best player. If you're in a situation that both sides can't come to an agreement, that's when you have to ask for a trade. You know, at the end of the day, the client is your boss and, you know, I'm, I have to do what my clients say. And so if they do demand something and you've gone through every avenue before that, then, you know, you have to have those hard discussions. Last question, Andy. And now I know you're getting into the season where you got to recruit new clients. What is that process like? Has, how much has that changed over the years? There's nothing that's ever going to match what we've had to deal with in 2020 uh, from my perspective. Uh, you know, Zoom has been incredible. I mean, I wish if I had known what was happening now, I would have invested in Zoom, you know, 10 months ago. Uh, but um, but no, I mean, it's you know, there's not as much travel, uh, a lot more localized recruiting. You're having a lot more conversations versus face to face time. You know, I'm used to going to games all the time. I'm used to going to a game on Thursday night. I'm going to a game on Saturday. Sometimes I'm going to a game on Sunday if I'm not at my house watching so I can see all the games on all my TVs. Um, and then I'm going to a Monday night game. And so to not be going to games all the time, like I'm used to, that is the biggest difference. And honestly, I really miss it. I tell my guys all the time when I'm FaceTiming them, I'm like, guys, I miss you. I, I want to see you face to face. Um, you know, I had dinner with one of my clients over FaceTime where we both were cooking and eating dinner and, and chatting it up. Like that was, that was kind of a unique thing. So it was kind of like we're sitting there having dinner, but we're, you know, <laughs> we're talking over FaceTime. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's a really, really unique year. And, you know, hopefully we can finish college football. Hopefully we can finish the NFL season and, you know, a lot more phone time though, and a lot more zoom calls uh, when it comes to recruiting. Andy, listen, I appreciate your time. Want to have you back on throughout the year, because I think there's a lot of things that agents do that 
a lot of people just wouldn't wouldn't have heard about or maybe understood what they do. So I'd like to get you back on to get your perspective throughout the year. Thanks a lot yeah. for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. After this break, I'll be back with a Therapy Thursday edition. Where is the pass rush? And more. Welcome back. The doctor is in. Let's get to it. James Lowe wants to know, is there any chance of an extension for Smith if he plays well for the rest of the season? And James adds, can't believe I just wrote that. Me either, James. Anyway, no, I don't think there is. Smith has two years left on his contract. He signed through 2022. Wouldn't make any sense to extend him after this year, even if he continues to play well. The good thing for them is that if he does somehow continue to play at a certain level, as JP and I had discussed earlier, he is affordable. He'd count only $23.3 million against the cap in 21 and 25.3 in 2022. That's an affordable sum for a solid NFL QB, if that's what he can still be. And I think there's still a long ways to go before we know if that's really the case. Let's not get carried away. He had a really good game. He looked, he's looked really good at times, but there's still a ways to go. Thomas Rogers wants to know, with the way Alex is playing, could you see a situation where whoever Washington drafts could sit out next season and learn from Alex. Man, we're really jumping ahead a little bit. But I understand why, because we're asking some of these same questions. At least, you know, you talk to people like, what is his future? It's so unexpected. So you are kind of like, well, I wasn't bracing for this, and I still don't think that he's still not their quarterback of the future. Um, It's just a matter of what role would he play going forward. I have no clue what they would do, because right now it's a hypothetical. I do believe they're still going to look to draft someone. As I've told you, the buzz around the league or a buzz by a few people is that they are looking hard at quarterbacks. That makes a lot of sense. They're not sold on their young guy, and they have, they're going to have a high pick. It is a good quarterback class. You're, it's a derelict of duty if you don't take a hard look at them. It just depends whether or not you like one enough to take them. Then it depends on who you take, how ready they are. Go back and listen to the podcast the other day with Ben Baby among the Bengals and listen to what Joe Burrow did to get ready um, this season. So so that, so that then again, so like I said, it depends on the person. Also depends on the round. We talking a first rounder, a fourth. Finally, Washington wanted Dwayne Haskins to sit all of last year and learn. Then maybe be the number two this year. That was the plan and the desire. They knew how much work he needed. It didn't go that way. The point is, Whatever the plan goes in, the plans here always change. And quarterbacks get hurt in this league, so that's why they change. Travis Jones wants to know, what is the key reason for a lack of pressure up front? Scheme or just not winning individual matchups? Well, Travis, here are some stats that are clearly going to surprise you. Washington ranks second in sacks per dropback behind Pittsburgh. They get a sack on 9.2% of dropbacks, their fifth in sacks overall. Okay, they had eight sacks in the opener. Take that away, and their tenth in sacks since the opener. Point is, it's hard to say that there's just an overall lack of pressure. Now, I do understand why you're asking me because we all felt there would be more. Keep in mind, when you fall behind by three touchdowns, you're not going to pressure a lot of teams do at any point because it's they, it's just it's just different. You pressure when you're getting the lead in games and you can unload and in, in, at the end of games we saw them do against Dallas. So that is a definite factor. Look at the games this year. They've been trailing by double digits in a lot of games this year. I think there's a few other reasons it's not more. One, two of those games were against the Giants and I bring that up because Daniel Jones was getting rid of the ball fast in those games 
And they also used a lot of seven-man protections. So you'd see a seven-man protection against a four-man front. It's going to be hard to get to a guy in that situation. Detroit at times did something similar. In fact, you may want to write this down so your head doesn't start swimming in stats. But in fact, in the last four games, quarterbacks have thrown the ball an average of 2.52 seconds against Washington. Only two defenses have seen quicker passes thrown against them during that time. And those quarterbacks' time in the pocket of 2.22 seconds is the lowest in the NFL. In other words, quarterbacks are throwing fast. It's not just a a narrative. It is a truth, especially lately. Now comes the analysis part. I do think they missed tackle Matt Ioannidis in the middle to help the interior collapse. I thought the tackles would be a little bit more disruptive here. Tim Settle, I feel at times, has been. I'd like to see a little bit more from Allen and Payne. I also know that they're getting a lot of double teams on runs, and so that that certainly helps wear them down. I think that's where the depth really helps. I'd be curious to see how James Smith-Williams develops as a pass rushing tackle in the last seven games. Also, we're seeing Chase Young get double and triple teamed at times, uh, you know, certainly a decent amount. But then when he's getting those one-on-ones, he's not always winning them. He's got to win more of those. And as I've, as I've explained before, too often early in the season, especially he was staying too square with the linemen, they could blunt his momentum. His legs at times would stop driving. He's starting to improve here and kind of taking a half of the blocker or the, the lineman and picking a half and attacking that way. I do like some of the – and I think that he's – I do think he's going to get, get better with that. And I saw some better rushes the other day doing this. I do like some of the blitzes they've used. Cam Curl had a sack the other day where he came free because of the design. And if you recall the Kevin Pierre-Lewis sack against Detroit that resulted in the penalty – that was well-designed and well-executed, too. They've been able to put guys in some one-on-one situations opposite young side, and at times it's paid off. You'd like to see it pay off more. I also think the coverage at times is, is a bit soft and enables the quarterbacks to get rid of the ball quick. We saw that on the final play from scrimmage against Detroit. It's not all the time. I know I hear this every year. Why is it every play there? They're not off every play, but sometimes they definitely play off, and it and certainly allows the ball to get out fast. And that doesn't help. Hope that helps. All right, Jesse Hannigan wants to know, this is going to wrap up on this one. Do you believe the bridge has been burned with Dwayne Haskins? Would he demand a trade this offseason? Demand? I don't know if he'll demand one, but I certainly think he'd welcome one, if he's, if, especially if he views this situation as one where he's not the future here anymore. He's just another guy. If he doesn't play again and they're still not sold on him, then yeah, I could see I could see his side asking for one. If I were him, that's what I would do. I also think it might happen whether or not he requests it. He doesn't hold the power here. They have him signed for two more years after this year, plus they hold an option. So they don't have to do anything. But if they're not committed to him, and you can certainly make the case right now that they're not, I know Ron Rivera has said that he hasn't closed the door on him coming back but I think it's clear that they're going to be looking elsewhere for some alternatives in the offseason unless there's a big change in what they see from Haskins and which in, consequent, in turn changes the way they feel. Um, I also think that, you know, again, the commitment part is they didn't take this guy in the first round themselves. So despite him being that pick, they inherited him. And if they're not sold on him, you, they quickly, clearly um, wanted to move on. And so... Um, you know, I think that's why they want to go out and get their own young guy in that they believe in whom they feel they can develop. You can scream all you want about the unfairness of it. I think we're beyond that. Welcome to the NFL. I'll be curious to see what happens if he does get another chance and how he handles it if he's doing what they want. If that happens, then no matter what, 
no matter what he demands, they wouldn't have to accommodate him. If he goes out, if he went out and played really well, then why would they trade him? That's what they want to see. They can Again, they control his rights. If I were advising Haskins, I'd tell him what you're doing now is trying to show not just Washington, but every other team how you're going to handle the situation. You're facing adversity, whether you like it or not. How do you respond? Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks to JP and Andy Ross for joining me, and thank you for listening. Also, a big thanks to Lono Coffee. Don't forget the offer I made earlier in the podcast, folks. Talk to you after the Bengals game.